0: Welcome to Pockets Full of Quarters, the show up at the games we're thankful for. Stick around for the end of the program to learn more about what's coming to Pockets Full of Quarters in the future. But right now, I'd like to jump into the very first game. Oh, and by the way, if you want to support Pockets Full of Quarters, you can do so on Patreon.com slash The game I'm thankful for that I'm going to talk about in this episode is my all-time favorite video game, Sid Meier's Pirates, a beautiful work of art that just does so many things wonderfully. It's an early example of an open world game. It's not the first open world game, but it is one of the first to really understand the power of player agency. What I mean by that is that Pirates is a game about the choices you want to make. Practically any moment you're playing Pirates, you can choose to, quite literally, change course. You can be trying one thing and discovering that, "Eh, I'm not really enjoying that so much, and so you you can just radically alter the way you're approaching the game. You can do that at any time, or you can stick to something, follow a path, and see what's going to come out at the end it just sort of drops you in the middle of an ocean, dangles a bunch of incentives in all directions around you, and then trusts you to make up your own mind. Pirates assumes you're not going to try to do everything in one game. It's a game that, that assumes a lot of replayability that's there in the design. Indeed, it's there in the customization menus where you can set up time periods and your personal loyalties and your set of skills in radically different ways to produce a very different Caribbean every time you hop in. Uh, all of which are, are designed to kind of reflect some historical realities, but also to alter the challenge or alter the, the ways you might want to approach the game. But pirates is ultimately about the decisions you want to make. And I love when games allow me to do what I want and trust me to experiment. And boy, does pirates ever trust the player. There isn't a lot of onboarding, pick a name, pick a single skill. Are you a good fencer? Are you good at sailing? Are you good at gunnery? Or are you good at medicine? So you live longer, pick one skill. Pick a name, pick a nationality, pick a time period which will affect the political situation and the technology level of the ships that you'll encounter. And then off you go. It drops you in. Uh, Within a few seconds of starting pirates, you're in the middle of a sword fight most of the time, Uh, uh, probably leading a mutinous crew against an incompetent captain. And after defeating him in that duel, suddenly you're elected the captain of the ship. But you're not going to stay captain for long if you can't keep your men happy. Crew happiness is a constant concern in pirates. How do you keep them happy? Well, you keep them fed and you keep them a constant supply of gold coming in. And so you and one small ship and a small crew of dudes have the entire Caribbean and a world of opportunity open to you. It's the romanticized version of the piratical experience that you see in old movies like Captain Blood. You know, the idea of people that are trapped in in, in an economic servitude, finding their way out, fighting their way out of oppression and escaping and becoming something more, hopefully, if you're a successful pirate. There's some historical precedent to that, although, you know... Obviously, real piracy was far darker and far less fun than depicted in most movies, and uh, the lives of most pirates uh, didn't go so, so well there at the end, uh, a lot of them ending with a, a stiff rope or a, a sword through the heart or a drowning or simply of some horrible sickness. But at the same time, there were people that truly did improve their station in life through the uh, unusual vocation of piracy, and this game captures that feeling so well. It looks like an old computer game, and it started life as an old computer game, uh, first on the Commodore 64. It was created during the end of the kind of the 8-bit computer era and the beginning of the 16-bit. That's hard time for us to think about now, but there was an era when there were lots and lots and lots of different kinds of computers, all of which were very unique. You could go out and get an Apple II or a Macintosh, an Amiga or a Commodore 64, an Atari home computer, Plus, the new consoles were now really coming into their own, particularly the NES. My all time favorite version of Pirates is on the NES, and that's the version you're watching here right now. But you had lots of different choices, and Pirates was a a game that was so popular, it was ported to almost every one of the platforms I just mentioned. I I think the Atari home computer is the only one it may not have made its way to. It's also made its way to the IBM PC and some other places. And that universal appeal came not just through the, the fun of the pirate fantasy or the excellence of the in-game design, but the fact that the people who made Pirates were smart enough to make it very, very easy to control. Even though it looks more like a simulation game, Pirates can be played quite easily with one joystick and two buttons. And on some of those old home computers, it was actually done with a joystick and one button. I think a control pad and two buttons is optimal for it. But it's a really simple control scheme, which makes it marvelously portable and almost instantly comprehensible. And while the action doesn't look all that tense when you're watching somebody play it, when you're in the middle of it, it's an entirely different thing because there's a lot going on there within those simple controls. You've got a lot of options. We'll get into the details of that later. Pirates also trusts the player. That's one of the most marvelous things about the game. Pirates really doesn't have much of an onboarding experience. In you go, you're in charge, hop in, what do you want to do? Grab your ship, head out of the harbor. It gives you a couple suggestions of friendly ports nearby and then sends you on your way and off you go into the ocean. So what actually happens in Pirates? Well, we talked about that control scheme, but again, it kind of belies a complexity of of planning. It's a lot like an RPG in that regard. Some of what's going to happen in a battle comes out of the decisions you make before you go in, much like in a traditional turn-based RPG. You might fight somebody, and, and the outcome depends on how your party's composed and what equipment you have prepared and a very simple tactical rollout pirates sort of has that same thing going on, although it's not turn-based at all. It's it's all action and arcade-type controls. But still, before you go into, let's say, a naval battle, you're going to have to choose the type of ship you're going in with. You're going to make that choice based on the speed of the wind and the type of ship your opponent's controlling and what you're trying to accomplish. Do you want to get away? Are you running from a pirate, or are you wanting to capture their ship? Do you want to capture them, or do you want to destroy them? Do you want to to grab a hostage and take prisoners? Are you better at gunnery, or are you better at fencing, which is going to determine whether you take a, a type of ship into battle that's, that's going to try to duel with cannons or immediately ram into the other crafts you can board and fight the captain with your sword hand to hand. You're making these choices all the time and then when you pop into the battle instantly, you have to access the wind speed and direction, the angle at which the enemy ship is coming towards you and try to find the right way to head them off at the pass, turn so that the wind's to your advantage or get a good shot with your cannons and none of this is happening in front of a spreadsheet. You're making these choices in a matter of seconds as the action unfolds and that's what I love about it is you're constantly making decisions but you're never waiting you always have all the time you want but you're never forced to do anything kind of dull in terms you know you can always hit pause and size up the situation but generally speaking you run into things very quickly and all your decisions will resolve in the course of a very few seconds which is a really cool thing that not a lot of games manage to pull off well Again, you talk about a, a ship fight. You know, you go in and you're like, oh, well, I can turn left and right. I've got to look at where the sails, the wind's coming from because each ship has a best angle of sail that you sort of intuitively pick up from the feel of it after a while. You can only fire to the side, which is interesting because if you want to roll up and, and broadside somebody, just like a real ship battle, you, you've got to give away some of the pursuit speed that you have. So if you're going to fire at the rear of somebody's ship, you've got to pull off and hope that you can hit them at just that right angle. You also decide whether you want to go in with full sails or battle sails and battle sails making your defenses higher, full sails making you quicker but more vulnerable. And then, of course, there's how the enemy ship's going to act because an enemy captain will have a different amount of aggression, you'll notice, very quickly. Some of them just want to get out of there. Others want to run you down and capture your ship, and some will try to circle you and sink you. And that's just one type of scenario that you'll encounter in any one encounter. And in the course of a long game of Pirates, you will go through dozens, perhaps even hundreds of encounters like this. Let's talk about the encounters. What's happening in the game? Well, you're dumped into the open ocean. And from there, you've got to decide where you want to go and what you want to do. You're always going to encounter ships at random, particularly when you're near ports. You're going to find ships. Some of those ships will be from flags that are friendly to your home country. At the beginning of the game, you choose to be English, French, Dutch, or Spanish, depending on the time period and what's available there. And then by and large, the ships you encounter will fly one of those flags or a pirate flag. When you see them off in the distance, you can choose to maybe run away or close in and get more info. If it's a friendly ship, well, you can do whatever you want. And again, that's what I love about pirates. You can do whatever you want as long as you're willing to live with the consequences. For example, if you attack a friendly ship, you can gain the treasure on board and you're going to get control of it and add it to your fleet if you manage to to run it down board and and take it without sinking it. But you're going to have to deal with the repercussions of your treachery. The next time you try to land in a friendly harbor, The fort may open fire on you and sink one of your ships. So from that point, let's say you betray an English ship, you may have to sneak into English ports or find English ports that aren't defended by forts. And even then, you're not going to be eligible for promotion under that crown anymore. On the other hand, betraying the English, if they're at war with the French, might make the French really happy. And suddenly, you're a hero to the French and you're welcome places you might not been as welcome before. And you can reap new rewards and new promotions and new loyalties and new land grants and be given new missions. There is so much that changes with any one decision. So ship encounters, Yeah, you, know, you counter a ship out in the, and then when you meet the ship, you can choose to do battle with them. Just hail them for news. You can sail away. If you do battle, you might choose to board them. If you board them, you fight the enemy captain with your sword in a very unique system that I like. You, you've got two counters. You've got to keep eyes on. One is the number of men on your ship, which is constantly going down based on the battle. If the enemy outnumbers you a lot, your men tend to die pretty quickly. Your second is a sort of a status bar. It's not a life bar, but it just says your condition and the enemy's condition. One of you might be angry, and the other one might be firm. Later on, one might be shaken, and the other one, you know, somebody you can be panicked or wild. And that's caused by the wounds and the way the battle's going on around you. So what you're trying to do is beat the enemy into submission with your sword as quickly as possible. There are three different kinds of swords, all that attack at different speeds, and two different kinds of cuts, uh, a a, a, sort of a slash that does uh, more damage and then a, a simple thrust that does a little less but is quicker. You can launch each of those at three levels of elevation, high, medium, and low, and you can also block at those levels. So you get a relatively large and diverse number of moves available to you. And then you're backward and forward on that as well. But if your men are dropping like flies, you've got to aggressively leap into battle against somebody, even if it may be less advantageous than you'd like, if you'd want to be more patient. On the other hand, if you have the advantage in men, you can be a little more patient and the enemy's going to have to come at you and you can fight more defensively. Your choice of weapon along with your choice of skill at fencing or whether or not you choose that. I always choose skill at fencing because it makes you a a more effective combatant. All those things kind of factor together into a sort of porridge of choices. Again, pirates is ultimately about making decisions and all of those play out in every marvelous encounter. What else are you doing in Pirates? Well, you're going from harbor to harbor. You're going to sit down and talk with governors and have stuffy little meetings, which take about five seconds of button presses. But during this time, you may be given opportunities for secret missions or rescues. You may meet a member of the governor's family. You can court a potential uh, a potential wife or make a friend that can become an informant later on in the game. You can go into the tavern, recruit new pirates, buy treasure maps that you can then go find later. You'll find hear rumors of your long lost family and gradually acquire clues to where certain, uh, certain people are that know more about the families. And if you choose to track them down in the cities that they're in, you can learn behind map fragments and piecing the map fragments together, locate family members, and families in turn have heard about a legendary Incan treasure lost long ago. And through the course of the game, you can also hunt for that. Or you can completely ignore all of this. You could choose to go looking for the treasure fleet or the silver train, which move once a year through the, the, the regional geography and see if you can catch them in port and capture them for wealth beyond your widest dreams or you can keep a very small crew and get a cargo ship and simply execute a sort of a buy low sell high classic kind of commerce game where you're more evading enemies than fighting them but you're reaping huge rewards traveling between strategically chosen islands that are close together and you may from time to time encounter events that allow you to be opportunistic and increase your wealth and buy and sell and when does it all end well the game ends by and large when you choose for it to you see it's impossible to die in Sid Meier's Pirates. The worst outcome that can happen in any one encounter is that you can lose your ship, lose your crew, be captured and thrown in prison, or stranded on a desert island, or tossed off the boat by mutineers. And in that case, after a few months, you're picked up again. The game does have an invisible timer based on your health. You have a personal status that you can always check in the game. And gradually that timer is slowly ticking down. But It's not an especially urgent timer, especially if you've chosen skill in medicine, which gives you a much longer time, and so what you're really trying to do is accomplish as much as you can. Gather as much wealth and as much land and as much success. Find as many members of your family. Uh, enter into the right kind of, of relationships with somebody that, that you're compatible with at all, etc. It's sort of a life simulation thing. And at the end of the game, either when you finally out of time, you're just like, wow, I'm just too old now to live the life of a pirate. Or more often for me, when you just feel like the game's done, you have the opportunity to retire at any time. You can just stop playing a game of pirates and that's part of what makes it wonderful because it's not so much about winning as living a life and then going back and living another one and seeing how when you make different choices things turn out radically differently and i talk about this game having an influence uh, on who i am i think some of it is that lesson of 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 opportunities. I mean, video games as a microcosm are all about what you do with opportunities. Even a game of Pac-Man, you pop a quarter in and you got three lives, three opportunities to get as far as you can. And then when you go back with a better set of skill, you play again and you get a little further. And that is the loop of most electronic gaming. Pirates embodies that better than almost anything because it is literally a matter of living a life and then going back and vicariously living another. When you go back, you could choose to have almost... almost... Was the exact same set of circumstances at the beginning of the game by picking the same historical period, the same background for your character. But from then on, things are going to unfold differently because life being what it is and the choices that we make being what they are and the things that are thrust on us because there are random events within the game as well. We very quickly see a radically different outcome. It's a game with difficulty levels, uh, and the difficulty levels have a profound effect on how the game works. Uh, Early levels are very easy. Frankly, you can accomplish a lot. You can take forts uh, uh, with many, many times the men that you have uh, with relative ease. Uh, You can sail almost anywhere without danger, whereupon in higher level games, wind and storms, oh lord, storms become a threat. uh, Because you're sailing around the high seas, the clouds are blowing you all over the place you get blown onto a reef and suddenly everything sinks and uh, you've lost half your wealth and half your men. And uh, you're stranded on some distant beach with a single ship, hoping the Spanish don't find you. Uh, It's a, it, it has that, but the rewards likewise, because you're playing at a more difficult level, you get to keep a larger cut of the uh, booty. Every time you divide up the, the plunder, the game, in addition to the larger timer of your lifetime has these smaller timers built in where your crew gradually gets tired of sailing, your ships get kind of worn out, people get tired of traveling around and not having any fun, and eventually your crew is like, man, look, we don't care how successful you are, yes, you've kept us happy, but we are ready to go home, and if you don't, they start deserting and taking the gold with them, so you have to divide up the plunder every now and then, which again forces you to kind of reset down to one ship. And uh, take a new opportunity, but you've grown in the experience, you've affected the world. You can conquer the ports around you. You actually affect and change the world. It's not like you're just reacting. You want to go out there and turn the Spanish main into a bunch of English or Dutch territory and you know what you're doing, you can pull that off or not. It can all fall apart in a single second with a single bad decision. You push a little too far, you run your guys into that ground battle outside Cartagena. You probably shouldn't have started, and suddenly you find yourself broke. Likewise, a game that is an absolute disaster that seems like you're never going to go anywhere, you could suddenly stumble onto the treasure fleet, sail out of that port, run into a member of your family, find the incan treasure, divide up the plunder, and retire a wealthy person, or as I did in my best game ever, A King's Advisor, uh, which is the highest end game score. That's Pirates. That's what makes it wonderful. You know, I was introduced to this game in, uh, in the late 1980s. I had a friend in elementary school. I remember... Uh, I remember his name, uh, his name was Wesley, and I remember his uh, his father was, a, uh, I believe, an RAF major that worked in D.C., and he kept telling me about this this Pirates game, and he was almost evangelistic about it. He had it on his home computer, and I went over to his house one Saturday and played it, and I was hooked. From that second, I had never played a video game like that. I had previously been exposed uh, right around that same time to, uh, to some wonderful uh, computer RPGs, but when I saw this, I was just like, wow, it's all the things I love about RPGs, but quicker. It, it, it's just so I can do whatever I want. I don't have to go on one quest. I can make up the quest. I can find the quest. I can turn down the quest. And that was a new idea to me. I started sketching pirates in my notebook. I, I At that point, unfortunately, I wasn't able to find a home computer copy that will work on the computer I had, but I thought about it constantly. And Finally, uh, I, around the same time uh, that I that I moved to North Carolina, it became available. I was shocked for NES, of all things. And I ran out and grabbed that in a heartbeat, and I never, ever, ever looked back. Because that version is wonderful. It, it cuts a few features, but the trade-off in smoothness is absolutely worth it. You play Pirates and Computer, it feels like an old computer game. It, it still moves with that kind of characteristic... Uh, clunkiness that you that you feel in that it's still wonderful it's a great experience as a matter of fact that GOG has a computer version that I still play sometimes that I own but that NES version is just smoother there were later versions as well a lot of them and they're all good um, but I actually like or most of them are good but I actually like the later versions uh, that came out uh, or for the genesis for example pirates gold or for the 16-bit computers just slightly less they're almost a little too pretty and, and feel a little less smooth they're so great i mean absolutely uh, uh go out and play any of them but um that's my favorite video game how did it affect my life it taught me a lot about opportunities and making the best of them in a very real way i have sat in more than one situation in my life Uh, That felt like I was making a decision uh, in a pirate's tavern about whether or not I was going to go do this or do that. And I have, and this probably says something about my lack of success in life, I have realistically considered, hmm, what choice should I make now? But also it instilled in me a desire to find other great games. Um, Pirates was not the first great video game I played, but it profoundly affected the standard by which I measured others and what I thought was possible in a video game. Pirates succeeded despite its relatively bland graphics uh, in creating a world that seemed more alive uh, and richer, uh, more full of things that were, were really going on than almost any other video game world I encountered. And it made me want to seek out more places like that. And since then, boy, have I found a lot of them because the human race is a marvelous and creative force of beings when it wants to be and it makes some wonderful stuff. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the next segment of the show. Thank you so much for listening and giving me the opportunity to do this. I hope you enjoyed Pockets Full of Quarters. I'd like to thank our Patreon producers, Nick Rie and Robert Nieder, whose generous support makes the show possible. If you'd like to support Pockets Full of Quarters on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash Petty. And I hope you will. I'd also like to especially thank Robbie Suave, who wrote the new theme music for our uh, show. I, I really hope you enjoy the intro and outro that he did there. And I'd like to thank Max Goville, who drew the original art for the Tamago Sensei t-shirt that became at least our for now working intro logo. Uh, so thanks to all of you. Also all of you who subscribe and who write to mail at Uh By the way, if this is your first trip to Pockets, in addition to Pockets Full of Quarters, we also do Pockets Full of Soup, the show about the people we're thankful for, and A Pretty Good Day, the show about the best days of our lives. You can find all of these on YouTube or at com. You can follow us uh, on, on Facebook at the Pockets Full of Soup Facebook group, or you can follow me, Petty, Jared, on Twitter. I really do thank you so much for everything you've done for the show so far giving me this opportunity now what's the future look like well for now pockets full of quarters is a monthly part of the pockets full of soup feed what that means is that on youtube or itunes or wherever you choose to uh, listen to pockets full of soup you're going to find pockets full of quarters about once a month i'd like to increase that frequency also if you choose to back pockets full of soup at the five dollar level you'll be getting an additional audio-exclusive episode of Pockets Full of Quarters every month. That's going to be added to the bonuses that you already get there. And every now and then you're going to see polls go up asking you about what games we should cover next. So thank you so much for watching this pilot episode. I'll see you next time.